HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is brought to you by Hearst Ranch Grass-Fed Beef, available on the internet at hearstranch.com. You're listening to Let's Eat In on Heritage Radio Network. We're here at Roberta's. It's a beautiful, sunny spring day in Brooklyn. And I'm your host, Kathy Irway. And today, we're going to talk a lot about very, very intelligent things. We have an intelligent guest out on the show today who is just coming out with a book tomorrow. It launches tomorrow, but I have a copy in my hands. And it's called Culinary Intelligence, The Art of Eating Healthy and Really Well. It's Peter Kaminsky. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. Um, so I would like to read a little segment from your book because you talk about eating well, eating healthy, and one chapter, chapter five, is called The Joy of Cooking. And you write, you can read every diet book in the store. You can shop locally, seasonally, sustainably. You can count calories and avoid franchises. But only cooking leaves you fully in charge of what you eat and how it is prepared. It is the surest way to put culinary intelligence into practice. Very well said. Why, thank you. So what is culinary intelligence? Culinary intelligence is a way of eating. Um, it's my way of eating. Uh, that I, I, before I had a name for it, I had a way of doing it, which is basically, if you want to maintain a healthy weight and a he- healthy diet, don't eat processed foods. Uh, buy the best, most full-flavored full ingredients you can afford, and from that follows, usually sustainable and local, mm-hmm. and uh, cook or live with someone who does. Mm-hmm. Um, because only in that way are you going to get fresh, uh, flavorful ingredients that are uh, express their peak flavor when they're cooked well. And if you do that, you're not going to have to compensate for lack of flavor and pleasure and texture with a lot of uh, salt and condiments and fat and just calorie-boosting empty calories. But what if I get just you know some really prime bacon that's really flavorful, smoky, uh, you know, uh, humanely raised pork produced bacon, and I eat that every day. Is that intelligent? I love bacon. 
<laughs> I know I you, just, wrote, you wrote the book on that. Pig Perfect. I, I, I just did a, a, a bacon cookbook. Here's the thing about bacon. Bacon is one of those things that is used to rescue inferior ingredients. When mm. you go into some, you know, burger joint or, you know, whatever, and it's something, you know, drowning in cheese and a lot of bacon, you got to wonder what was the poor, inadequate food that got drowned in it. <laughs> uh, I, I look at bacon as a seasoning. Yeah. Um, you know, it has tr- beautiful flavor. It's got a lot of what, you know, of umami. It's got great crunchy texture. It's salty. It's got the complexity of aged meat. And used sparingly, it can really wake up a lentil salad or any salad. Um, it's nice with some pasta. I mean, I, I use bacon as much as I use any any uh, condiment or or, uh, right. yeah, or or seasoning in my kitchen. Right. Um, that- so this is coming from an author who has written so many different cookbooks. You've co-written cookbooks such as Seven Fires, Grilling the Argentine Way with Francis Melman. Um, you've written Pig Perfect, as I mentioned. Um, you were a longtime columnist for the New York Times, and you wrote the, the uh, what's it called again, that column, uh, Outside? No. Uh, the, the Outdoors the out- column. The Outdoors the Fishing column. and Hunting column. So you've had a long and storied career in food writing, and now you're turning, and, and you must get so many freebies from restaurants whenever you walk in. How can you resist and cook at home? Uh, well, I should ask you that, because that's how I discovered you. <laughs> you had the most sensible blog on the web when you were not eating out in New York. I said, she gets it. <laughs> um, you know... How can you not eat in restaurants all the time? You know, I turn around and say, how can you eat in them all the time? Anybody I know who's a professional eater knows that uh, it's really tough. Uh, I mean, the stuff's delicious, so no one, no one should feel sorry for you for, like, foregoing mm-hmm. the pleasure of a meal. But restaurants really are there to blow your mind in the next two hours. Mm. And if that takes shock and no amounts of butter, you know, and, and cream, that's what's going to have. Um, so, restaurants, and I do o- offer some uh, uh, guidance for if you do eat in restaurants, what to do. Yeah. But I restaurants like are not is not the first line of defense uh, for a healthful diet. Okay, fair fair enough. And you came to this um, the idea for this book. Was that sparked by your weight, growing, uh, you know, health issues? Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, uh, I got a 34-inch waist now. I had what I would call uh, uh, an an overly self-generous 38-inch waist. That Mm -hmm. usually means you're 39 or 40. Yeah. Uh, And I wait. You call it your occupational hazard. Well, that is. If If you write cookbooks and, you know, restaurant reviews... Um, you're going to bulk up uh, unless you've got a really great secret anorexic, you know, strategy. Uh, uh, You're just going to put on a lot of weight. Um, So where were we going with this question, though? Oh, Oh, so that happened? Yeah, so I was... so I had to get life insurance, you know, I had to re-up, and I had an exam. It turned out I had uh, high blood sugar. I was pre-diabetic, and my doctor said, this is bad, mm-hmm. um, but maybe, you know, you're not there yet. Maybe you could lick it. you got to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy who was selling me my life insurance had the same problem, 
And he said, look, don't eat any white stuff. I mean, we've all heard that. You know, lay off or cut back on on the drinkies, uh, Mm -hmm. desserts. And you're going to lose weight. Well, uh, broadly speaking, that's what I did. You know, I, I cut out white flour, white pasta, although I do have something to say about that later. Okay. Uh, uh, potatoes, uh, french fries. My, my rule for drinking, because no drinking is no living, the way I look at it. <laughs> it was uh, two glasses of wine, one cocktail, or one beer. But that yeah. was it. And in that time that I made that change, I also made three trips to South America to, to write a, a book that was largely about eating meat and drinking wine. <laughs> and I wrote a dessert cookbook with the great Michel Richard. And I, I think I took off 15 to 20 pounds, those first initial 15 to 20 pounds. Well, that puts me uh, in, the, uh, in the realm, although I was eating rarefied stuff, it puts me in the realm of most dieters. You can lose weight, but how do you keep it off? And I think it's only by changing the way you eat. It sounds and, like a mission impossible. And, well, there's a lot of awful, as you know, a lot of awful good, flavorful ingredients out there that are just delicious. And uh, if you cook them well, if you got a good crust on your meat or a nice succulent falling apart braise, you know, if you caramelize your vegetables, if you buy vegetables that are really fresh mm-hmm. and really in season, um, uh, no chef in the world could add the amount of taste mm-hmm. and flavor that those things have naturally. And once you start cooking that way, uh, I, I found it wasn't, it wasn't that hard to continue. So, and I got to say, you look great. You really walk the walk and talk the talk that you talk throughout this book. Um, and you came to meet me the other day and was, you know, biking in this not very nice, you know, clammy, cloudy day. So, well done Yeah. Well, New York is an ally, you know. Yeah. I mean, the, a lot the, of walking. And... So um, tell me a little bit about this flavor per calorie idea that you describe in the book. It's, uh, let me try to describe it. It's the idea of having the most flavor per calorie in each ingredient. Exactly. If you have really full-flavored ingredients... You can get the most bang for your buck, the most sensual bang for your buck. Uh, then every calorie that you eat um, will deliver both you know, pleasure and satisfaction. If your ingredients or your cooking technique cannot deliver flavor per calorie, on goes the mayo, on goes the butter, on goes the... Or the third portion or something. Well, well that's, that's the other thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we did an interesting experiment... Um, most diet books don't start out uh, telling you that it's fine to eat uh, steak, beer, chocolate, and cheese. However, I like all of those things. I wasn't about to give them up. So with the guys from Frankie's, mm-hmm. uh, Frank Castronovo and Frank Valsinelli, and some friends, food writers, civilians, students, we did a taste test of uh, seven producers, grass, grain-fed, various uh, degrees of age of beef beef. Mm -hmm. yeah strips and ribeyes blind taste test now the one that won hands down was an aged grass all the way ribeye from uh the rosencrantz farm in the lake districts 
uh, of uh, New York State. It's just it's astonishing beef. You know, funky, chewy, full flavored, succulent, everything you want. And not as fatty, not as marbled. Well, no? well, 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 the the ribeye is as okay. marbled. Uh, I'm not I'm not afraid of fat. Mm-hmm. Just on all fat all the time. Yeah, the kind of fat that a grass eating steak develops. Uh, you know, one of its fatty acids is conjugated linoleic acid, which is, uh, you know, rather helpful. You, you need fat. Mm-hmm. Without fat, we don't have brains. Without fat, we're a bunch of plants. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how human beings are. But at any rate, three slices of that steak, you're plenty satisfied. Yeah. Whereas, you know, not to single out Outback, they're just the first one to come to mind. <laughs> if you go to some chain steak place, you're going to eat a whole one-pound steak or pound and a half steak, you will not have the same amount of beefy satisfaction. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll keep eating because you want it, but it just can't deliver it. And likewise, we did this, uh, uh, you know, uh, with chocolate. I like chocolate, but a piece of really good dark chocolate, you know, that's got that flavor of cherries from the right mm. beans and stuff, and the bitterness. You know, a little square of that is. Uh, it's going to satisfy intense, you. Yeah. Uh, a whole, you know, a little square of Scharfenberger. Let me I have a reason for saying that. It's going to satisfy you. Mm-hmm. Whereas a whole square of Hershey, uh, a whole bar of Hershey's, also, uh, which also owns Scharfenberger, yeah. is not going to satisfy you. So, you know, they, they have more flavor for calorie. They deliver more umami and other satisfying flavors. And you're going to be happier with less. Beer. You know, one, uh, you know, one six point. Yeah, exactly. Uh Uh, Is going to give you a real great bitter, bubbly mm, beer feeling. I'm thirsty now. A light beer, man. (laughs) You're going to keep drinking it looking for It's a beer like experience. But Mm -hmm. after six of them, you still want a beer. (laughs) So flavor per calorie is just using common sense to uh, find the best ingredients and prepare them in the most flavor enhancing ways. And less will get you further. Did, was there anything that you totally gave up during your diet? Uh, I gave up French fries. Oh, was gave that hard? French fries. No, what's hard? They're not that flavor per calorie. Licious. No, to me, I no. don't know. They're, they're salt. They're and a they're vessel fat. for ketchup. Yeah, and, and the crispy fat. Don't don't discount that. People go for that. But uh, you, you can get a crisp on a vegetable too, right? Yes, yes, you can. Yeah, you mentioned this parsnip thing uh, that you made once, but it was like kind of like brick chicken. You oh no, brick. I, I, w- I want to learn how to make that. Okay, Dan Barber, uh, the wonderful chef uh, and amazing writer, Stone Barnes. Yeah, 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 is a buddy, and we've done a lot of things together. And uh, I ate there with uh, Kelly Brownell from the Rudd Center for Diet and Obesity uh, a few weeks ago uh, with my wife. And uh, a professor, uh, a nutritionist from Minnesota. And Dan blew it out. Hmm. And one of the things is he, he brings out a real knobby uh, parsnip to yeah. the table and shows Unpeeled, it to you. Unpeeled, yeah. And then next to it is this parsnip that he's peeled. And he's put a weight on, just like you do if, well, in a burger joint where they put, mm-hmm. but just like you do with chicken under a brick, the uh, yeah. Italian dish. And he cooked it at low heat for a real long while. Well, it gets soft. And concentrated. And yeah. concentrated and sweet and caramelized brown on the outside. And 
Mr. Wow. Mr. Parsnip was, you know, you could have served him as a main course and charged 25 bucks. It. it was delicious. Oh, my gosh. Parsnips. I know. That's a good one. What was your, um, what, what's your favorite? Did you want to read a passage from the book? Or we could we could pick one out for the next. Okay, yeah, sure, sure. Okay. Because I think we, um, you picked out a song, too, that we could put on. Uh, what's the song? This is the Barnyard Dance by Martin Bogan and Armstrong. All right, we'll be right back. grass-fed beef pasture raised on 150,000 acres in Central California Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef free-range, sustainably produced humane Hearst Ranch grass-fed beef the authentic flavor of the American West Okay, we're back chatting with Peter Kaminsky, author of Culinary Intelligence, and that's coming out tomorrow from Knopf. Um, we had a little segment that Peter was going to read from. Go ahead. Okay. Well, one of the things I decided to do in this book, this is not a, a book where uh, it reveals that large corporations are making unconscionably huge profits on bad food. We all know that. And I am not the guy to go to who's going to give you a diet plan that says on, you know, day four, eat pressed yogurt with three leaves of lettuce. I like to eat spontaneously. Mm. Um, and this is all about following pleasure informed by a little bit of uh, a little bit of knowledge. And CI, um, culinary intelligence. Say what? CI. CI. So, uh. Oh, about f- uh, 40 years ago, I lived in Park Slope when it was going from uh, borderline sketchy to borderline gentrified. <laughs> and uh, the point I was making here is it's great to know your local butcher, your local whatever, and uh, you know, your purveyor. And if you don't live in a neighborhood like mine, which I am blessed to live, you will be surprised if you start to talk to the people in your supermarkets. I mean, they work around food all day. And I have found if you ask them some questions, they want you to eat better, mm-hmm. uh, and they're happy to go along with it. But this was my guy. Years, before, uh, years ago, but before it had gone from being marginally sketchy to entry-level gentrified, Oh, that's where I just got that. (laughs) 
I lived in Park Slope, Brooklyn. The local real- realtors touted it as the largest Victorian-era neighborhood in New York. Think Sesame Street with no Muppets. On Sunday mornings, I'd walk across Prospect Park and then through Kensington, a working-class neighborhood with cl- clabbered houses from the 1920s. Because it was sheltered from the winds off the harbor and we received a lot of sunlight, it was the first pl- place in my immediate world where crocuses bloomed in the spring. After a New York winter, the sight of those tiny flowers were like a p- postcard for an old friend. My destination was Church Avenue in Borough Park. Whenever I took that two-mile walk, I would get a brisket from Saul Taub, who was, as his sign proclaimed in both English and Hebrew, a kosher butcher. Morning light often poured through his window. When it did, it was a good bet you'd find Saul's well-fed cat basking in the sunlight, licking his sleek and shiny coat. Being a butcher's cat is a very good gig. <laughs> I'd always enter to the same same scene. Saw, sawdust on the floor. On the radio, the, the races from Aqueduct called in Yiddish. Three or four wooden folding chairs, usually occupied by a lineup of old ladies, pocketbooks on their lap, intent on Saul's technique. I'd watch, too. If, while he was grinding an order of chopped meat, some of the fat that he used to push the meat through the grinder happened to emerge in long squiggles, squiggles, the lady who'd placed the order would leap out of her chair like a rocketing pheasant and berate Paul for sneaking some cheap fat in place of costly meat. With an uncombative sigh and a slight smile, he'd always give the same answer to the glowering grandmas. Don't worry, I wouldn't charge extra. After I'd been his uh, customer for five years, he told me the story behind the number on his tattooed wrist. I was a boy, 13 years old. The Nazis put me in a concentration camp. It was late in the war. One day we all knew the Russians were approaching the camp. You could hear their cannons. The Germans took us all outside, made us strip, and began shooting. When I heard the first shot, I fell. I pretended I was hit. The ladies piled up on top of me. Then the shooting stopped. I lay there for hours, quiet. The Russian guns grew louder. Finally, I heard speakers, soldiers speaking Russian, so I climbed out to the pile of dead bodies. It was very cold. A young Russian took off his heavy wool overcoat and gave it to me. I walked 300 miles back to Czechoslovakia. After 10 years of sauce briskets and kosher chickens, I moved to L.A. for a few years. When I returned to New York, my brother Don and I made the long walk to Seoul for old times' sake. Same old car, ca- same cats, same old ladies, same frantic on the announcer on the radio, uh, on the radio screaming, Erlof v. Secretariat, Yiddish for he runs like Secretariat. We sat in the empty chairs at the end of the queue and worked our way forward. When it came my turn, Saul, who hadn't seen me in two years, went into the meat locker and emerged with a brisket. You want I should trim the fat, he asked. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Good stuff. So in case that didn't tip you off, tip you off enough, um, this book is not your average diet book. It's not really a diet book, um, whatever those are. Um, but this is a really narrative, evocative story and you know set in brooklyn you know and and elsewhere but it's it's such a charming tale and speaking of local uh businesses you're speak you're doing your launch party tomorrow night at book court on court street yes the best indie bookstore uh, the best. in the solar system it's really awesome so definitely check that out tomorrow night at book court at 7 p.m and you'll hear more from culinary intelligence um, so I got to ask this question. What is the ultimate date meal to cook at home? Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> the ultimate date meal to cook at home. Ah. Well, 
I like uh, clams. I mm. like I, I like you know clams and and wine with uh, um, you know some parsley and garlic. I just adore that. Uh, I have a question about clams. Is it okay to take a leftover clam, like a little castanet, and pick out the meat of another clam and use it kind of as a tongs or something and feed yourself? Is that okay? You mean is it? Is it elegant? Yeah. Uh, if you do it, yes. If I do it, no. <laughs> yeah, why not? All right. Why not? If it gets the food I in your like mouth. It. I like it. It's fun. What did clam eaters do before forks? <laughs> you know? Uh, you okay. Know, my favorite day. Well, Melinda really likes a steak. A steak, okay. a steak for two will do it. She, uh, well, we'll, you know. What's some, a good cut for a steak for two, by the way? Because you don't want. Strip steak. Okay. Strip steak. Um. We also, I mean, I, I, one of the reasons I'm stuck is I cook from looking what I have and what I feel like making. Mm. So, like, last week we had some leftover radicchio, and I had some, you know, pink lentils, and I did, I, and uh, I had some little ch- cherry tomatoes, the sweet ones. Mm. So I, re- I burned those tomatoes, you know, just burned them in a pan. Okay. Uh, so you get that elegant taste of, of burnt and I sautéed separately. I sautéed the uh, uh, radicchio and hit it with a little balsamico at the end, oh. and uh, tossed it with uh, the lentils, which I cooked in a little bit of stock, mm-hmm. and uh, grated some uh, parmigiano over it. I don't know. That's, that why did I do awesome. that? We had it. I mean, you cooked. You fold that in way the too. tomatoes too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's colorful. Oh man, I'm going to make that. Yeah, deconstructing yeah. food. You know, tr- treating each and ingre- bringing, I mean, that's the thing I've learned from working for so, so many chefs. Mm-hmm. One pot meals are great, but meals where you take the separate elements and cook them in the best way for that yeah, element. Totally. Radicchio one way, the the leeks, uh, the, the lentils another. Oh, oh, yeah, and a crisp from shallots. Perfect for, uh, for the top. And yet you put them all together. Now, that that meal costs... Uh, as Saul Talbot has said, bupkis, which is Yiddish for nothing. Uh, but it was delicious. <laughs> yeah, lentils are really expensive these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's a good point because a lot of people think that quick cooking means one pot cooking means, or maybe just leave it in a slow cooker and walk away. But this is, you know, you to spend a little bit of extra time to do the tomatoes separately and so forth separately and bring it all together. I mean, these are all quickly cooked ingredients anyway, so... And it's exciting. I mean, I guess it's probably not as exciting it as the day at the races, watching. but for me, yeah. it's exciting to watch each ingredient develop to its peak of flavor. And I, I like know a it, lot of pans on the, on yeah, the stove. Yeah. All right. You know, we're the pan you saw, the pan you did the tomatoes in, you can just put the tomatoes aside and then do the ridiculous. I mean, you don't have to dirty up the whole kitchen. You didn't have to. I guess. I guess it didn't take much to convince me about your, the, the points in your book because. They're just so smart. It's like, duh. It's like every every passage I read was so well articulated, but it's like, exactly. That's that's right. So, I mean, it's, it's a wonderful book to just read, though. I, I loved all your stories about, you know, catching fish and the... Uh, with your daughter. Oh, and then yeah. And then making just the most freshest fish. It's really fun stuff to read, I gotta say. Um, why is there just a single red Swiss red shard on the t- on the cover? I'm a word guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what Knopf decided they liked. I like I like it. I like it too. Uh, it looks so real though. It's like yeah. I want to touch it. 
Yeah. So. So. Uh, so it's not like Swiss chard is like the ultimate flavor per calorie. Yeah? No, but it's a darn good thing to have. <laughs> I mean, I love wilting it and mixing it with beans or lentils or pasta and a little bit of bacon. Yeah. You know. Uh, That's a good way to. I was about to ask what how do how do you best. Uh, cook it but that's you just i, I think perfect. blanch it mm-hmm. a little bit just blanch it so to wilt it yeah, yeah and then shock it mm-hmm. and then you know saute it so where are you taking uh this culinary intelligence for the book tour and you know events around town uh well i'm doing the food book fair this weekend awesome i am cooking a whole striped bass in salt uh, at the orvis store on 44th street uh mm-hmm. noon on friday uh, I'll be at the Rudd Center on the 11th at Yale. Okay. Um, I'll be in Seattle. I'll be in San Francisco. Uh, What's this about the White House? Oh, well, in order to uh, maintain my lifestyle as a freelance writer in Brooklyn, I produce some television shows. And one of them is the Gershwin Prize for Popular Song which we do at the White House. Uh, we, we did it with Stevie Wonder when wow. President Obama was first. So you elected. produced this as yeah. like the producer. Wow. And uh, then we did Paul McCartney. And uh, so next week we're doing uh, Burt Backrack and uh, uh, Hal David, who are particular favorites of uh, Mrs. Obama's mom. And I think the way your president to keep peace in the household is let your mother-in-law have her favorite music there. <laughs> That should be really fun. Yeah, it's wow. going to be a gas. So this is a this is a side gig that I guess is not that occupational hazard filled. That should be fun. Oh no! There, uh, uh, well, in this White House, they're eating pretty. You know. Yeah. It's. Oh, <laughs> we're doing a, well with McCartney. All I mean, the crew had to eat vegan. Really? Yeah. You know, so all these teamsters from Washington to see. Oh. Well, you know, anybody who's working on the gig. All the catered meals were vegan. Hey, I'm sure they're pretty good, though. They were. They were. I uh, turned my nose up at it, and uh, my nose was brought up short because it's good food. <laughs> good stuff. That should be really fun. And congratulations on the book, too. i um, definitely looking forward to the reading and some of the other events that are going on around town. Um, and how do you travel while eating with culinary intelligence? Are there any quick secrets? Um well, yeah, not that much time left, but it's, that would be good it's to know. an exercise. You know, it's tough. Mm-hmm. It's tough. You know, most of the time, if you stop into any chain restaurant, the trick isn't what do I want to eat? Is there anything in here I could eat? Mm-hmm. You know, if you salads don't, from fast food. Uh, you know, the salads are going to be loaded with gloppy dressing. Um, you know, Taco Bell, they have, you know, f- some fresh a salsa and yeah, some real meat. Yeah. That's probably going to be okay. You know, Chipotle, uh, Chipotle is good food with good ingredients. Um, often you don't have that choice. Often you got to stop at the Seven Eleven or you know mm-hmm. the Quickie Mart and get something. And you can walk up and down those aisles for twenty minutes, and you're going to walk away with a bag of almonds and some water. Okay. You know, <laughs> and an apple, out of season, if non-local, not anything, but it's going to be better than, you know the. Cheese Doritos. Good um, to know. Uh, yeah. Look for ethnic restaurants. You know, in, in any place where there's farmers in America now, there are grocery stores with takeout food that cater to Latinos. Mm-hmm. And that is scratch cooking from ingredients. Um, you're going to eat better stuff than in any Cracker Barrel. 
with all apologies to well no apologies to Cracker Brown. <laughs> um ethnic enclaves by and large are terrific you know there's you know vietnamese in in uh, new orleans and in in minneapolis those restaurants are terrific um and you know rather than worrying that you're going to stick out as like the lone whitey Mm -hmm. um i i i've been doing this my whole life i've been writing about ethnic food my whole life uh when you come in with, with a respectful attitude and ask people about their food they like you they like you, so it's worth it. So that's one of the tricks on the road. Uh, in airports, you're back to your, you know, bag of almonds and uh, <laughs> or you know, mixed dried fruits. You know, fourteen hundred calories. <laughs> uh, although there are some food courts showing up in restaurants. You know that uh, you know in ri- airports. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, travel traveling's tough. Yeah, traveling's tough. Well, thanks for those tips. That's actually. That's a that's a good one. Go find the ethnic enclaves. Every city's got one. Well, that's about all the time we've got for today. But definitely check out the the culinary uh, just culinary experience intelligence. Did I say experience? You did. That's a good thing to check out. <laughs> and while you're at it, read have a culinary <laughs> experience of intelligence by Peter Kaminsky. Thank you, Kathy. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, Jack, and everyone at Heritage Radio Network. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.